What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 59 of Bet Parks Presents. Stick to Hockey Live. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period.com going to join us in just a moment. It's um, we're back after a week off. Was down the shore. Of course, I was given another podcast shift for not doing an episode every week, and I was off last week. But anyway, I still did my other one. So I've done three podcasts a week minimum, usually four every week all summer. But anyway, we'll talk about that with Anthony in just a moment. Um, preseason football's here. Hockey's around the corner. Hoops are around the corner. College football, tons going on. Great time for you to get the Bet Parks app. Grab the Bet Parks app. Check it out. Baseball, as we come down to the uh, dog days of the end of summer, but into pennant races and then the playoffs and same game parlays, player performances, pitches, strikeouts, you name it, hits. It's all going to be there at your disposable to get your action in on. So check it out on the Bet Parks app. It's easy to navigate, easy to use, faster to win than ever before, and easy to sign up. So make sure you check out the brand new Bet Parks app. It is fantastic. And like I said, right now, it's a great time because you can use the promo code Jason750, J A S O N 750, and that's going to get you a risk free bet up to $750. You got odds boosts that'll be there. You've got all different kinds of alternate lines, live in game, play by play betting. Again, like I said, player performances, your standard bets, props, parlays, futures, all available on the Bet Parks app. So log in, check it out, and again, use the promo code Jason750 and get your first bet risk-free up to $750. So just download the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Episode 59, let's bring him in right now from north of the border. From the fourthperiod.com, it is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? What's going on, buddy? How was uh, your little vacation? It was good. It was uh, it was pretty chill. We had a good time. and. Um, it was pretty hot, but it's summertime. I guess it's supposed to be hot. But at this point, at like I'm so over the heat and humidity <laughs> that's been going on. Like it's kind of cooler today, but the last couple of days it's been steamy again, and I'm just over it. Like bring me into sweatpants and hoodie weather. Enough yeah. of this shit. Sweater yeah. weather. Uh, yeah. I love. I love October. Not only because it's the return of the hockey season, but just weather-wise, it's just. Uh, and you know what? I shouldn't be complaining about that, especially in Montreal. Although I guess we don't have it that much better than you guys down there in Philly. But like this summer up here, I gotta say, maybe last week there was a couple days where it got up to. Well, I'm gonna say it in Celsius because that's how we roll up here, <laughs> like the late, the high 30s, low 40s. But the one thing is, is like at night, it's still gotten pretty cool. Like at night, mm. if you don't have like a sweater on, like you're a bit chilly. So, I mean, oh. we've been lucky in that regard. We've been in like a steam bath at night, like 77 degrees at night. Ugh, and it's that I it's, can't do. Yeah, it sucks because you can't like even the air conditioning in the house has tr- trouble keeping up with it. Uh, I'm over it. It's good to see the game back on the ice, the World Juniors. But boy, Ant, the, the lack of attendance is insanely pronounced. I know it's at a different time of year right now, and it's kind of vacation and cottage season for everybody, but shit, man, there's nobody in the stands. Well, like, look, up here in Canada, it's like a tradition, right? Everyone goes nuts over the World Juniors, even for me. Like, back when I was, like, 17, 18, 19, I remember if they had a tournament that was over in Czech Republic or Russia, somewhere in Europe, my buddies and I, we would stay up together on Christmas night 
and stay up all night boozing, having fun, and then watch the game at like four or five o'clock in the morning. Like we go nuts for this tournament. And now nobody's even talking about it. Mm-hmm. And look, I feel bad for the kids playing because it's not their fault, especially with all the allegations against Hockey Canada and how disgusting those are. But the thing is, is that you have to feel for these players. Not only did it get robbed from them eight months ago, but now they're playing in a tournament that no one seems to give a damn about. And it sucks because in four months from now, they're going to have the 2023 tournament. And I can guarantee that's going to be packed house, all that. I can't remember where it's being held, to be honest. I would assume it's somewhere in Europe this time around. But it's uh, it's really unfortunate, right? Especially given the fact that there are some really talented kids playing there. Yeah, I mean, you have Bedard, <laughs> who's playing, yeah. right? And has been, I mean, the goal that where he pulls the string and, you know, toe drags it, brings the puck into his feet and just fires it. Yeah. Um, and he looks like he is so young, though. Like he's wearing the bubble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the bubble cage. Um, and he looks like he's just so young, but he is incredibly dynamic. Yeah. No, he's he's a generational player. Like, I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. And even from a Flyers perspective, like on Team Canada alone, they have Denway there. I think he's slated to start as the fourth line center. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Tyson Forrester. I believe he's playing on the second line on the right wing. So it's even interesting from a Flyers perspective, uh, as far as Team Canada goes, is Cutter Goatsy on Team, pardon me, on Team USA? Uh, not, not not this one. I think he will be in no, for back, the regular one. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, like Forster wouldn't have been able to play had they had it last year because he was injured at the time. Yeah, so that is a scenario where it's worked out, and then this is going to lead him right into maybe rookie camp and then actual training camp. He's going to be with the Phantoms this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and you know he's a guy that I guess now you could throw Goatsy into that mix, but like he's like probably their top prospect in a lot of ways, especially given the fact that Cam York has kind of now graduated to the NHL on a presumably a full-time basis. So it's going to be cool to see a guy like Forster, what he can do in this tournament, how he's going to translate that right into the camps. And then even Denway. I mean, I, I thought he was drafted as a winger, but it seems like he's more of a center at this juncture. And he could seems like a guy that can maybe be a diamond in the rough. And for all that, you know, people have kind of turned on Chuck Fletcher and this management group. I think everyone, even his biggest haters will say that he and Brent Flair, maybe more specifically have done a pretty good job in the draft. Yeah, that's that's been, I think, a strength and another key and where they need to be flawless now going forward is in development. Yeah, because and like development is like it's easy to throw development under the bus and there's so many elements to development. And I think we all knew with the pandemic that development for a lot of players like I just had Tyson Forster on um, Flyers Daily. I taped him when we were at development camp and, you know, he's a guy that has had to try to develop playing in the OHL which was basically shut down during the pandemic. And then he dealt with injuries. And you have to wonder too, like how many of these injuries are a result of the inability to train and work out properly? I don't know. I I don't, we'll never know, but you know, development and development doesn't stop at a certain time. Like development goes, you know, into your NHL career until basically you hit like 25. That's when I say you're okay. Your development is fully over. And it's why like, you know, the players like Konechny and Provorov, they have to get into redevelopment is the way I'm terming it under torts 
and that's going to be a huge element going into this season is redevelopment of some players. Well, like look at Giroux, like he broke into the NHL in 08-09 as a right wing. I think a lot of people forget that he was drafted as a right wing, plays the first year, pretty much only half the season comes up in December of 2008, if I'm not mistaken, kind of finds his spot on the third line center spot because Danny Breer only played 25 games that year, if I'm not mistaken, with that on and off groin injury. And then in 09-10, he stays as the 3C, more or less, has a strong playoffs. And then in 2010-2011, that's when he jumped to, I believe he scored 20, uh, 76 points that year, if I'm not mistaken. He played the majority of that year with JVR and Jeff Carter. Carter played almost his entire last season on the wing for the Flyers. And then they moved Carter and Richards. They opened the door for him to really grab the bull by the horns. And there you go. He scores, n- how many points did he score in 2012? 93, I think. Yeah. And he was, that was six years post-development. So yeah, right in line with you, around 24. Now yeah. look, Provorov, Konechny, they're in 25 years old. And I think that they're, you know, it's one year. It's not the end of the world. But even specifically for defensemen, I think you have more of a leeway here to, I guess, only hit your stride at 26, 27. Konechny is more of an interesting case because I do think that they, well, like I know that they think that he has more to give. And obviously he's been able to provide that in, I don't want to say garbage time, but in like non-meaning, meaningful games, he tends to really have stepped up specifically at the end of last season. I think the more of the issue for Konechny is kind of stepping up when it counts the most, because even when he was at his best, I felt like he kind of was typically on the perimeter whenever they were in meaningful hockey games. Yeah, and you saw that, you know, yet his best season is the nineteen twenty regular season where he scored the twenty-four goals. And then he got to the bubble and he was just totally snake bit and he couldn't score. And yeah. you know, he, he's got plenty. Jordan Hall put out this tweet the other day uh in regards to Connect Knee. And here's Connect Knee's team ranks, Flyers team ranks over the last three combined seasons. He's first on the team in points with 147, first on the team in assists with ninety-six. This is over Claude Giroux, too, by the way, who missed some games, obviously, last year because he was moved at the deadline. But still, um, first in even strength points at 103, first in power play points with 44, first in penalties drawn at 68, second in power play goals with 12, which is an absurdly low number to be second, Um, and then tied for second in even strength goals with 39. That's, again, over the last three seasons combined. Um, you know, the narrative, though, is that he's a dog shit player and he's got to be gotten rid of. Um, and you and you just said, it. you know, they believe that they can get more out of him. They have good reason to believe it because they saw it. Yeah, <laughs> there's just been a, a, a dip in his development. Yeah, like uh, the, like I, I struggle with Konechny just because I, I do think he's a bit of a victim as to the position he plays, because something's going to have to give it the right wing position eventually. Right. So. I think that like maybe eventually Konechny just by osmosis is going to be like a guy who becomes expendable via trade in the same way that like eventually you're probably going to have to pick between Sanheim and Provorov, right? Like depending on like how your plays, salary cap, all that. And like I thought like maybe Konechny this summer would have been a guy that you could use in a hockey trade, maybe bring a center. But look, I think that they quickly realized four guys like Konechny and Ivan Provorov, they weren't going to get what they were worth. So fair enough. I agree with that. No problem. I still think that maybe Konechny was a bit more expendable because of the position he plays, but I understand their rationale. 
I just think that for Travis Konechny, a guy who's never been like a very great power play guy, has done most of his damage at even strength, which is arguably more valuable for sure. I think that a lot of people like kind of get upset that he is what he is. And we've talked about it. Like as a standalone player, he's a second line winger, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's okay. It's completely okay. It's just like, I think that when you see that he could play higher um, in terms of capability and he's kind of regressed the last two seasons, that's where the frustration sets in. But look, this is a very big shit or get off the pot season for connecting and a lot of guys. And him and Provov, I think, are kind of like the prime examples of that. Like now you have a brand new coach, you have a brand new like slate, clean slate. And I think that going forward after this season, I would have, I would, I think there's going to be a lot of tough decisions that need to be made on this team, like who's in, who's out, that type of thing. And Konechny's right in the thick of that. And Provorov's right in the thick of that too. For sure. Those, those are the two to me. They are like literally connected that's not an easy word to say linear linearly connected yeah. in the sense that you know okay there's two elements here who is the bigger concern going forward and who is the player that's more likely to flourish under torch shaw this this coaching staff rocky Thompson. you know who's the player that's more likely to get his career pointed in the right direction is it tk is it provi is it both is it neither? I don't know. But, you know, when you look at who's likely to benefit from a new coaching staff and this coaching staff, who do you think it is? Do you think it's TK or do you think it's Provi? I got to try and leave my – I got to try and park my bias at the door because people know that I'm a very big Provorov fan. But even considering that, I, I think it's Provorov just because you're bringing in a, in a coaching staff that is very defensively minded – there is a decent amount of examples of young defensemen flourishing under these guys, Zach Warinsky, Seth Jones, most notably. Yeah. And I think that the Flyers made a conceded effort to go out and get a partner specifically to help Ivan Provorov. And the Flyers defense as a whole is a much better cohesive unit than the Flyers forward group. Like, I look at Travis Konechny and what he's going to have to work with up front this season, and I'm saying, okay, you get a healthy Sean Couturier, but Joel Farabee's on the shelf until December. Claude Giroux's not in the picture anymore. Is he going to be a guy that is better off than he was last season or worse off? And I think that is going to be a guy who's going to be kind of relied, on, relied upon to be an offensive catalyst as opposed to Provorov, still think that he's going to get his 25 minutes a night, still think he's going to be their number one defenseman, but I just think he's a lot better insulate. Like, even you look at a guy like Cam York, who is going to be playing presumably third pair minutes. Like, the Flyers should, on paper, have a very good third pairing. They should, on paper, have a decent top four who can move the puck. And I think that Provorov is going to get a lot more, I guess, of relaxed deployment because of it. I know he probably won't be a fan of this, but it's hard to imagine him getting even close to the same amount of power play time as he has it over the last couple of years, probably for the best. Which but is I say none. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, I could see them maybe, because here's the thing about Provorov is that he's always been used as kind of like the quarterback, kind of like what we saw with Gossespierre or Teamnin or Stripe way back when. But I all... but. The only thing that Provorov really brings to the table in the power play is his like borderline elite shot, and that is a thing. Like I know we yeah, can't his handle's just... not great. He's not a great puck handler. 
Not at all. And I don't think like his decision making at the top of the umbrella is very good at all. Mm-hmm. But I think that his shot in and of itself, like even in 1920, if you look at the underlying numbers, like his expected goals for on the power play was in the toilet, but his goals for because of his shot and how much he was actually just capitalizes on his chances was through the roof. So I wouldn't mind, let's say on the second power play unit, let's say you have just for example, like York at the top and then Provorov is just a trigger man. Try it out in that capacity. But I don't think he's going to be getting nearly as much power play time as D'Angelo or, or even maybe a Cam York. Maybe they give Ristolainen a line in look there because of his historic uh, success there in Buffalo. But in a big roundabout way, I think Provorov probably is better set up to have success this year rather than Travis Konechny. Okay, that's interesting. I the the one thing, you know, you have that that's the hockey element of it. Yeah, I wonder about the personality element of it too, because. You know, I, I obviously there was Elaine Vigneault had frustrations with Travis Konechny. He scratched him. You know, I mean, he, he, you know, had issues with the way he played at times. And TK had to learn some hard lessons. And, you know, how, we know how Torts is. He doesn't care who you are, what your pedigree is, what you're getting paid. doesn't matter. And then the ultimate thing for Torts, though, in my belief is that you know, accountability is everything. And I think that we saw last year that that is something that needs to evolve in a big way for Ivan Provorov. We even saw it at his end of year press conference, yeah. the deflection of accountability. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wonder from the personality standpoint, how much that you have the hockey element. And I agree yeah. with you on that, but I wonder if the personality element of it, um, kind of rears it in a different direction in the other direction where it's TK maybe that has more of a, a chance to flourish than than Provorov does. Yeah, and you can count out the intangibles of a situation. Like these aren't robots. And look, I think it's very evident that Provorov's a guy that at times, and I'm putting this lightly, has trouble dealing with criticism. Even if it's unfair criticism at times, which I do think he's been a victim of. But look, he hasn't been good enough the last 18 months. For a guy that's been relied upon as he has, not all his fault, not by any stretch, but he is a guy that has a lot more to give. In terms of Travis Konechny, I think that there's less pressure on him. I don't think he carries the same role as Ivan Provorov. You know, he's not playing top-line center or at times even top-line wing. He's typically been... You know, a guy playing in between the second and first line, depending on like the coach, the player, whatever uh, players he's playing with, that is. But I, I just think that there you do have a point there is that maybe Konechny's attitude is better set up to transition to a guy like John Tortorella. But at the same time, I mean, look, I, I've used this example before. You know, when I've interviewed Josh Yohe of The Athletic, who covers the Penguins, He's told me, like, you really think guys like Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin are easy to deal with? No, but no. that the thing is, is that winning cures a lot. And I think Ivan Provorov's a guy, and you could speak to this better than me, Jay, because you're down there each and every game. I think Provorov's a guy that if he's put in a winning environment, he's going to be better success, set up to succeed. I think he's an ultra-competitive guy, much like Drew Doughty. Like Drew Doughty out in L.A. when people were trying to say, you know, he's done, he's shit, he's that. And then in reality, it was just like Doughty's such a competitive guy that he was going to break his back for a bottom feeder. (laughs) And then you saw his game kind of turn around this year. 
But and you look at Provorov's numbers in seasons where it mattered and his short stints in the playoffs. I think he's only played 22 games and he's really played exceptional hockey in those games. I, I just think he's been a player that gets very frustrated when the team isn't good. And at the same time, he gets frustrated with the criticism. Do, do you think that's kind of what it, the situation is for Provorov? Yep, absolutely. I think, you know, some guys, some players can handle you know, seeing, hearing, and reading criticism, other players have a much harder time dealing with it. And I think he's a guy that has a hard time dealing with it. So I, my advice is if you have a hard time dealing with it and it bothers you, then don't, don't uh, kind of take it in. Look, Avoid yeah. it. You know, if it's going to, if it's going to get in your head, then don't put your head and your eyes on it or your ears. Yeah. You know, tune it out. Don't seek it out. And I think, so, look, it's human nature for guys to know what people are saying about them. Yeah. But if it's going to bother you and affect you, find a way not to do it. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, we all know about sports talk radio in Philadelphia and the media in Philadelphia and, uh, you know, the notion of, hey, players, they don't listen to sports talk radio. They don't read the papers, blah, blah, blah. They all say they don't. It's all yeah. bullshit. Because yeah, they all do. <laughs> they, a lot of them don't admit it until they're done playing. Yeah, I said I didn't, but I did. And that's just human nature of it, you know? It's huge here, so people are going to listen to it, and they want to know what people say about it. I know, like, Shane Gossespierre always had a problem with my criticism of him. And he was a guy that claimed that he didn't listen or hear. And I was critical of him on my radio show, and he, he held it against me. He had a problem with it, you know? Whatever. He was soft about it. Uh Turns out I was right, but still, <laughs> I didn't want to be right, but I was. You know, Sam Moran was a guy, too, who I was critical of and, and knew that I was critical of, him, but he didn't take it personally. So well, it's your job, right? I mean, yeah, it was my job to bring an opinion every day. So, you know, don't shit on me for doing my job. Well, like with Provorov, and look, I've always been like a very big defender of him just because, and I was talking about this with one of our listeners, Dan Knightley, my fellow Canadian. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Dan. And we were talking about how we often in our evaluations of players really kind of value playoff hockey more. And I used this example on my podcast yesterday on brotherly pod is that like, if you compared Jake Voracek versus Danny Breer over the regular season numbers, who would be the more productive player? Oh, yeah. Probably I mean, it's Jake. Exactly. Regular but if season, you're yeah. regular season, but if you're asking me game seven, conference final, cup final, who are you taking? Yeah. Uh, that's where you're going, Danny, because on the big stage, Danny was an animal. Exactly. Like Danny Briere, like I think that Asa he had the one season with the Flyers. Obviously, I know he had the big season with the Sabres. But I think with the Flyers, his highest point total was 2010-11 when he scored 70-something points. Yeah. Aside from that, he was always kind of like high 50s, 60s, if I'm not mistaken. But you paid Danny Breer, and when they gave him that contract, I know it was $6.5 back then, but I think if you prorate it to now with the salary gap, I think they paid Breer like a $10-plus million contract. So, I mean, you were paying him that money for the big stage. And I think that again albeit only two seasons he made he's made the playoffs pro rolls only played in 22 playoff games but each time that he's gone to the postseason he's had good numbers and i would say in the bubble 
aside from Hart, because Hart was an absolute animal. And this this conversation applies to Carter Hart, too, because I heard that even uh, you and uh, Bill were ask, answering questions on Flyers Daily and someone mentioned something about Hart not being a true number one. You know, I base a lot of my evaluations on playoff hockey yeah. and what Carter Hart did in the bubble. And I look at Ivan Provorov, and, you know, I said a few weeks ago that I think that his ceiling is that of Jacob Slavin. And if you compare them against each other in 2019-20, when I said that they were on in a similar tier, like in the playoffs, their cor- their Corsi percentage was off by 0. .02. Their expected goals four per 60, Provrov at 2.05, Slavin at 1.54. Expected goals against per 60, Slavin had 2.28, Provorov 2.35. Provorov was on the ice for less shots against per 60, generated more shots for per 60. Like, I think that Provorov has proved that on big stages, he can be the guy everyone thinks he is. Yeah, I I agree with that. And, you know, the one year they're in the playoffs, was it against the Penguins, I want to say, when they lost? When he blew out his shoulder. Yeah, Yeah, and, you know his play suffered obviously for it and he could barely lift his arm up. I remember he was in tears after when they were eliminated and, but he was a warrior, right? And he was and, 20. Yeah. I mean, he's a young guy at that point. And we've, we've seen that ability to stay in the lineup uh, despite, you know, even being in the playoffs and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I agree with you. I think you, how a player performs is weighted on when he performs that way, performing and putting up good numbers when, the games are meaningless is nice, but it doesn't matter as much as when, you know, not even just playoffs, just really important games at the end of a season in a playoff push, right? Those games are more important. So they are weighted in my mind differently as well. I totally agree. Yeah. And like, I think that's the same reason why I've given a guy like Kevin Hayes so much leeway Mm -hmm. because, and it's weird, Kevin Hayes in that bubble. Like if you look at his underlying numbers, he was not good at all, but then his production was pretty much through the roof. Like I can't remember how many points he scored, but it felt like he was a dominant offensive player each and every shift in that playoff series. I, I feel like he just, he was throwing pucks at the net from every angle incessantly. <laughs> yes. I remember that. <laughs> and then you look at a guy like Sean Couturier, who his underlying numbers were through the roof in, in those bubbles. But as far as production goes, he really was a disappointment. Him and Claude Giroux and Travis Konechny really had tough goes in the 2020 bubble. So, I mean, I guess that's why, like, when I vow... And look, it's tough in the position we're in because the Flyers have only been in the playoffs, what, twice in the last half a decade. So it's hard to use, you know, like, playoff hockey as, like, a big sample size because it just isn't there. 22 games in the last five years. Is you just... can't value it unless you play in it. <laughs> exactly. So how are you supposed to value it? But I look at a guy like Kevin Hayes. I look at a guy like Ivan Provorov. I look at a guy like Carter Hart. Three guys who have really been in the crosshairs in recent years, months, however you want to, whatever time table you want to give it. And I say, all fair. Maybe have all been underwhelming the last 18 months or so. Hayes more so because of injury than anything else. But last time the chips were down, those were the three best players on the team. And that's what's sticking with me. Yeah, I mean, like the way Hart performed against Montreal and, you know, we know his idol and his mentors at the other end in Carey Price and what that meant to him and the way he performed in, in particular in that series against the Canadians was, I mean, Price was spectacular at points. And you remember the, 
the save he makes on Scott Lawton just totally selling out and somehow gets the angled paddle of the stick on that as Lawton loaded up on that. But um, yeah, I mean, he performed well in that situation. You know, he's performed well when there's been structure around him. The numbers don't look great when the team has struggled because the structure hasn't been there. Look, some goalies are, are designed to perform better when things are chaotic and other goalies are, you know, designed to perform better when things have structure. That's they're all different, right? You know, you have super guys like Jonathan quick or Mark Andre Fleury is a good example of a guy that when there's breakdowns, he can make those spectacular saves. And, you know, some guys are built to do that, but with structure, they're not as necessarily as good. That's not their calling card. Like with Hart, though, efficiency and movement and structure are paramount for him to have success. Uh, I, I remember Robin Lander, who we'll actually talk about in a second because he's done for the year, but he talked about when he played for the Islanders and he went to Chicago and how much better he was playing for Chicago, even though the numbers were not as gaudy. But his yep. game was better because he was facing way more quality opportunities against, especially off the rush than he did playing for Barry Trotz and the Islanders. That's just the way it was. And he thought he played so much better for Chicago. His game was in such a better place than it was with the Islanders, even though the numbers with the Islanders were way better because yeah. of environment. I'm sure teams felt the same way because following yep. the Islanders, he got, what, a one-year contract with the Blackhawks? And yep. following his stint with the Blackhawks, he got a $5 million or $5 million per year contract at five years. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, it, it's it's crazy how many people kind of turn on Carter Hart because, and I know that the, the COVID season 2021, their goaltending was historically bad, as people say. But look, Jay, you're a goalie. Like, even if the underlying numbers suggest that the goalie is like an absolute piece of garbage, like good team defense and goaltending really go hand in hand, do they not? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. I, I brought this up the other day. Uh, I think it was probably on Monday's Flyers Daily about, you know, somebody said, when are you going to realize that Carter Hart's just yeah. an average to below average goalie? And I, and what I brought up was the numbers from 1718 when Doug Waite was coaching the New York Islanders and Yaro Halak and Thomas Grice were the goaltenders. And, you know, they both had a, a sub 900 um, save percentage that year. They gave up the most goals in the league. They, they both sucked according to everybody. And then, you know, the next year when Barry Trotz came in, you know, one goaltender's save percentage was 919 and the others was 925. No. Same same two goalies, all of a sudden they can stop a puck, right? No, that's because the environment was more structured and you weren't giving up these great grade A chances off the rush or high danger chances in the slot and rebounds and layered screens that all of a sudden those guys can stop the puck. So environment absolutely matters and it's it mattered for Hart and the wheels fell off that year um that, tw that 2021 season yeah that, remember the month of March was just abysmal. the nine nothing loss the eight three loss to the Rangers right all of that and it just it totally overwhelmed the entire team and, and the goaltending by proxy but the thing is is you know that was one of the really encouraging things at the beginning of this year was the way that Hart rebounded from that and I yep. also think that that's when AV lost the team because he called into question Hart's commitment and work ethic. And I think, and every guy on that team knew that, dude, that that's not an issue. And I think that's when AV fully lost the team. Which is very bizarre, right? Because even 
like at the beginning of 2021, that shortened season in January, the goaltending was the only thing keeping this team on the rails. Because yeah. if I'm not mistaken, they actually had a decent start to that season in the yeah, COVID they were like short. 11, 4, and 2. Yeah. And their underlying numbers were terrible, but Elliott and Hart were playing well. And then they mm-hmm. subsequently completely torpedoed and were the, was the worst tandem in the NHL, but they started off well. And then again, this season, like Hart was playing very well. Jones was adequate for through the first two, three months. And then it fell off the rails again. And I think that's another example of like, okay, yeah, maybe Hart wasn't fantastic when all was said and done this season, but when they were playing meaningful hockey at the beginning of the year and they, they started the year, what, like five, two and one or something. Mm-hmm. I remember like how positive things were looking after that game in Edmonton. Yeah. And when they were playing well and they were competitive and, you know, the season wasn't a runaway train yet by late November, early December, the goaltending Hart specifically was playing well. And then, yes, in January and February, and then he started getting injuries. Did his play slide a bit? Absolutely. But historically, and the same goes for 2021, at the beginning of the season when it was a blank slate and they weren't off the rails yet, he was playing well. More times than not over the time of his career, when the chips are down, Carter Hart has played very good hockey as a goaltender. Yeah. Am I going to judge? Eventually, that lack of structure will drag any goalie down. Well, like, Jay, I've played goalie. You've played goalie much more than me. Like, if you're playing in front of the team, who sucks and or doesn't give a shit, you're not going to give a shit either. Why are you going to try and kill yourself in a throwaway game in February when the main talk around your team is trading your captain and best player? You know what I mean? Like, that's where, like, the human element comes into play. And I just think for me, like, and again, like, it's kind of tough to say that you value meaningful slash playoff hockey more than the overall sample size because there has been so little playoff and meaningful hockey in Philadelphia over the last 24 months. But that's why, like when I get asked about guys like Hayes and Hart and Provorov, I value the little bit of meaningful hockey. And even for a guy like Ivan Provorov, remember how good he was playing the first month of the season? Yeah. Like he wasn't on a five on five goal against until what? Mid November. Something yeah, maybe absolute. even later than that. It was like 29 it, games in. <laughs> it was insane. And, like, I, I, I don't know if you think that the, the I guess, criticism for guys like Provorov and Hayes and Hart are warranted at all. Do you think they're all in different boats? Like, Well, I think they all are in different boats. Like, you know, Hayes, obviously, a lot of people didn't like the contract initially. I didn't like it either, the, the term and the number. But, you know, so you got to look at from that lens as well. But, you know, there's just this notion right now that everything is a total disaster. When things are bad, everything is 10 times worse than it actually is. And the feeling of you're 10 times further than you actually are. You know, again, I go back to that 17 or what, 18, 19 season. And they fire Hackstall and Scott Gordon finishes out the year and they make basically three moves that offseason. You know, you get rid of Gudis, you end up with Niskanen, you you end up signing Tyler Pitlick, and you end up with um Justin the signing Braun. of Kevin Hayes. Yeah. Right? And, and 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 you have Braun as well. And all of a sudden they go from that team, you know, those are pretty innocuous signings. Hayes is the big one, obviously, but you have no Nolan Patrick. And, you know, you end up 
not losing back-to-back games from January until the second round of the playoffs when the, they go down three games to one against the Islanders. You're seventh in scoring. You're seventh least goals allowed in the league. You have a solid power play and good penalty killed. I mean, they were a good team, a legit good team, you know, across the board. They didn't have one guy that filled up the net. Konechny led him in goals, I think, in 69 games with 24, if I recall. Yeah. And, you know, they were a deep team. But, you know, did those like trading Niskanen and getting a guy like or trading Gudas and getting a guy like Niskanen wasn't like you acquired Bobby Orr. No. But it made a huge difference. So, you know, I, I get it. People are, are disenchanted right now. So everything is shittier than it is just because everybody's angry and frustrated. And, and that's, mm-hmm. hey, everybody's entitled to that. So um, last thing, Ant, Kadri still hasn't signed. <laughs> There's <laughs> This is crazy, right? Like you thought he would be one of the first names off the board. Uh, Larry Brooks in New York has reported that the Islanders are reportedly offering Kadri seven, a seven-year contract with a $7 million AAV, so $49 million over seven years. But the fact that this deal still isn't, I know the, you know, Kevin Weeks has put out that look for some moves from the Islanders, I guess, to put themselves in a cap compliant situation so they can go to the 10% over, have to happen first. And this is very Lou Lamorello to have a deal, but have not have it not announced yet while he takes care of some, you know, other business. But I'm, I mean, I thought Kadri was going to get more coming off that season he's coming off of. But, shit, I hope he signs with the Islanders for that. Yeah, it'll be a good contract for the first couple of years. But, I mean, the this is not a 28-year-old player that you're signing to a seven-time seven. That is an old team. Yep. <laughs> you know, they, Already. they have Casey Sezikis locked up until he's 36. They have John Gabriel Pajot locked up until he's 33. They have Palmieri locked up till he's 34. Lee's locked up till he's 36. Nelson's locked up till he's 33. Like that is a lot of, I guess not big contracts, but like decent sized contracts locked into aging players. Kadri's he's what already 32, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And Kadri's kind of like in that weird spot where it's rare to see a guy get a contract until he's 32. Like typically like guys get that like expiring contract, 28, 29, kind of like what we saw with um, Sean Couturier, Johnny Goudreau, Kevin Hayes, except I think Hayes was a bit younger. But yeah, I I thought someone was going to give him like seven years, $9 million. But, and I remember like, Elliot Friedman during the season had like dropped maybe a little Easter eggs here and there that like he thought Kadri was a flyer. And I hated that idea from the beginning. Yeah. He just said it like, you could see that player, you know, fitting the organizational DNA. And, and I was just, I remember talking, we talked about it a lot too on various podcasts. Like I, if he's 28 years old, I'm interested, but at 30 plus where he is, I'm not interested (laughs) I, I just thought that would be a very short-sighted deal. And you also got to look at like the, the context. Like, yeah, he had a brilliant season. What was it, 87 points in 70 games or whatever it was. But, like, you're playing with Nichushkin. You're playing with Ranton. You're playing with Landeskog. You're playing with Burakovsky. Like, that was – that's a stacked team that they have in Colorado. Yeah. And, again, as we know, that age can punch you in the face on a dime in the NHL. And he's a guy that, look, he suffered an injury in the playoffs. I'm not going to say that he's going to fall apart, 
But do you really want to go with a 30-year-old Kevin Hayes, a 30-year-old Sean Couturier, a 32, 33-year-old Nazem Kadri, making a combined cap hit of anywhere from 21 to $25 million for the next five years or yeah. four years, however long Kay Hayes has left on recipe. It's just, and they're all kind of Mike, they're all kind of like replicants of each other. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, Kadri's more of an offensive guy as opposed to, let's say, Katori, and Katori is an elite offense, uh, defensive player, overall better player. But they're all kind of like, I don't want to say they're the same player, but they're all maybe the same, like all left shot. None are elite offensively. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, obviously, Katori is like a cut above the rest because of his, what he brings defensively and all that. But it, it just wasn't something that made sense to me at all. Not, yeah, not I player. agree. And to me, he's a guy that's not going to age well in this league because he doesn't have the half a step to lose from a skating standpoint. And you could make the case that, you know, it's the same deal with Katori and Kevin Hayes, right? Mm-hmm. They're not fleet of foot either. I mean, Hayes, when he first came back last year, looked like a beer leaguer. He couldn't move at all. Oh, After the double bad. surgery, I mean, that was ugly. Do you think, um, and I know Tortorella, I think they said, should be the guy to pick, but do you think that they have an idea who the captain already is? I don't think they have an idea. Um, I think they, I mean, I think they have an idea, but they need to see it. I, I, to me, I think it's just obvious that it's going to end up being Katuri. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I would like them to go with like a rotation of A's this year. Like, yeah, they may do that for, to, for, to, for a certain point, but I think, I think it is important eventually to name a captain. I do. So I don't know. Maybe they go the whole year and then they decide after the year, but like, like the Rangers just named a captain for they went what five years without a captain? Yeah, go to Truba. That was caught me off guard. Yeah, that caught a lot of people off guard. But, but this is one know, thing I always say is just like everybody doesn't people, have to be your best get, player. You, pardon me? It, captain doesn't have to be your best player. Like, and it's just like good. we don't know what goes on in the room. Yeah. Like, exactly. <laughs> like we could bitch and moan and this and that, but who the hell knows who actually is the leader in there? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, we'll see how that plays out. And Torch has got a lot to absorb before he makes that decision. So for sure, we'll see where it goes. Um, and great stuff. We'll be back next week. Uh, once again, we'll crank it up. We're getting closer, man. This is crazy. Yeah, man. Looking forward so, to this. Enjoy the world juniors. We'll talk next week. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. There he is. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period.com. And, uh, We'll crank it up again next week as well. So great stuff from Ant. And appreciate it as always. And uh, that's going to do it basically for episode 59 of Bet Parks Presents Stick Docky Live. Get the new Bet Parks app because there's tons to wager on. You got the uh, remaining part of the baseball season. You've got preseason football. You've got college football around the corner. You've got uh, the hockey season around the corner. Futures, hoops, college and pro. Tons to get your action on golf. FedEx Championship is going on. So tons to get your action in on on uh, a sports betting app that is simple to use, easy to navigate, and faster to win than ever before. So uh, make sure you sign up now and check it out and get in on all the player performances, same game parlays, odds boosts, you name it. It's all there for you. And right now, all Bet Parks users, all new and existing, can use the promo code Jason750, Jason750, and that's going to get you a risk-free bet up to seven. $150. Again, Jason750, new and existing users. Some terms and conditions do apply, uh, but check that out and get that risk-free bet up to $750. So do yourself a favor. Download the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
episode 60 coming up next week. Everybody, enjoy your week. We'll talk to you next time on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Everybody.